Good morning. This is the story of King Rehoboam. If you're anything like me, you've probably imagined at least once what it would be like to rule your own country. And if you're as proud as I am, it probably feels like you could do a better job than some of our current leaders, right? But at the end of the day, we don't take those thoughts too seriously. I'm never going to be president, and nobody's going to ever give me my own kingdom to rule. But imagine what it would be like to grow up as the heir to a kingdom. In that case, you might have some pretty strong ideas about what kind of king you would want to be. And probably those ideas would be informed by what you saw as you were growing up. And that's how it was with King Rehoboam of Israel, who was son of the fabulously wealthy and famous King Solomon. Rehoboam had been a year old when his father ascended the throne. As a child, he had seen the great temple of Jerusalem completed after seven years of work. Then he watched as the king's laborers spent the next 13 years constructing the great palace. He had dined with his father using plates and cups of pure gold. And he had seen the treasury filled with so much silver that people didn't take silver seriously anymore. They considered it of little account. He had seen nations bring tribute to his father and doubtless looked forward to when they would bring tribute to him, when he would sit upon the great ivory throne overlaid with gold. And at the age of 41, Rehoboam was crowned king after his father's death. All the wealth and power of Israel were his. And he had some ideas about what he wanted to do with that. But at his coronation, the people of Israel came to him with an unexpected request. Your father put a heavy yoke on us, they told him. Now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. In other words, lower the taxes, reduce the heavy work. They've been too much for us. And King Solomon's taxes had indeed been heavy. Solomon had divided the country into 12 districts, and every month one district had to provide food and supplies for all his household, all his many servants and wives and concubines and the household guard, all the horses in the stables, He took the best of their fields, the best of their vineyards, to give to his attendants. He took the best of their cattle and their donkeys. And he constricted Israelites to labor for him also, bringing wood from Lebanon. These were the heavy burdens King Solomon had laid upon the people. But for Rehoboam, he had not imagined being a less powerful and wealthy ruler than his father. Lower their taxes? You mean reduce his estate and his household size and the feasts and entertainments and prestige that he was planning, that hadn't been in his plans at all. So he told them, come back in three days, and he would give them an answer. So he went to the elders who had advised his father, and these wise men told him to do as the people asked, and that then the people would indeed serve him, which was not at all what he wanted to hear. So he sent them away and called instead for his friends, those he'd grown up with who looked things, looked at things the way he did, perhaps, and who were looking forward to him taking the throne and probably getting favors from him when he was on the throne. They would tell him what he wanted to hear, and they did. Of course they did. After all, they wouldn't get favors from him if they opposed his will. Tell the people you are mightier than your father, they flattered him. Tell them your little finger is thicker than your father's waist. Tell them that while your father scourged them with whips, you will scourge them with scorpions. And this was the answer he took to the people of Israel. It did not go over well. The leaders of the tribes of Israel basically cried out, back to your tents, everybody. This guy won't be our king. 
And then Rehoboam thought he could reassert his power over them. So he went out with the commander of the slave labor to make his point, and the Israelites responded by stoning his commander. Rehoboam had to run for his life. Rehoboam had been king of Israel. He'd been made king, and in three days, most of it had left him. Only his own tribe stayed loyal to him and the small neighboring tribe of Benjamin, which was within control of his armies. His kingdom had been split in two, and the rest of the Israelites crowned another king to lead them. A king who would outlive Rehoboam, by the way. He got to rule only a piece of his father's great kingdom, a weakened state that, instead of receiving tribute from neighboring kingdoms, would be humiliated by Egypt in just a few years. They invaded and took all the gold from the temple and the palace. So much for the man whose little finger was thicker than his father's waist. Well, good morning, everybody. Got a little history there. Thank you, Ben, for for sharing that. Uh, We're going to be digging in the story of King Rehoboam like Ben just shared, and we're continuing a series called How to Make a Bad Decision, and I trust that you're not here because you want to learn more about that specifically. If you're like me, there's plenty of bad decisions that we make. We have those playbooks down for the most part. But the idea of this series is how do we look at bad decisions so that we can learn from them, so that we can make good decisions. And for me, a life can be like living the same day over and over again, and I can make the same mistakes, and then I make the same mistake again, and I make the same mistake again. What I find in my life is that I never get ahead. I never learn, and oftentimes that's because we let life happen to us, and we don't actually look back and say, well, what, why? Not just the what and the how, but why? And so this series, we want to kind of peel back the curtain of the why do we tend to make bad decisions And then from learning the why, how can we learn from them to make good ones? And so we're digging into the scripture to look at stories in the Old Testament of people that made bad decisions and what we can learn from them. And so we're looking at King Rehoboam today. Last week, we looked at the story of Esau. Now, decision-making, to me, uh, is is complex. And uh, how many of you drove here today? Okay, most of you. How many of you, when you're, when you're late somewhere, always seem to run into red lights? Does that happen to you? Like, there's a picture of, of red lights. Like, it's not just this one, but you're, you're, you're late, and then you see this one, and then you see this one, and then you see one of these two, and you're pretty sure it's different than a light, and it's going to take a picture if you run it. And so you begin to calculate, not only am I late, but I'm going to be even more late because of these red lights. Why are these red lights here and oftentimes, I, I blame it on the red lights, like the person just sitting there seeing me hurry and just pressing that button. Let's see what happens. Let's turn it red again. Now, what do you guys think when you see this, this color light? What does that mean to you? <laughs> just gun it. I heard that. Floor it. This actually means to slow down, yield. Now, when I was in driver's ed back in the day, it was always like, you, you need to stop unless you're in a place where it's unsafe to do so. And I translated that, never stop, because it would be unsafe. You guys do that too? You see a yellow light, and it's just like, well, I better speed up, because it will be unsafe if I don't. And there may not be any car near you. 
right? But, but yellow lights. Now, decision-making is kind of like this. There's, there's red lights, there's yellow lights, and there's green lights. And it looks like a bunch of traffic signals like this. And you're trying to navigate, okay, if I turn left, there's an arrow. But if I go straight, there's some red lights. And then a transit signal, I may get hit by a train if I don't do it right. And all of this is going on, that's like decision-making. It's complex. There's different things. There's different signals. We need to move ahead. We may need to turn. We may need to slow down. We may need to stop. We may need to make a U-turn. But oftentimes, when I make a decision with something that I want really bad, this is what I see. Go to that next one there. Go. Life, to us, when we want something really bad, ends up being like a green light. And this is what we want in life. We want just green lights. We have something that we want to happen. We have a place we need to go. It could be a goal. It could be a destination, something we want really bad. And we want a go light. We want the green light to move forward. What you, you find is, is life is not easy like that. There's not just green lights everywhere. In fact, we're at intersections all the time with our lives and the lives of people. And not everyone has a green light because if everyone had a green light, it would be chaos. And so what you find when we make decisions, there's all sorts of factors that are going on in our lives, things that God wants to teach us, things that he wants us to do right, things that we do that are gonna impact others and others do that impact us. And all this is happening in the decision-making process. So I hope this series takes you beyond just the what you see and what you want and the green light to realizing that there's lots of other factors that we need to think through. And today we're talking about the importance of wise counsel. And if you want to make a bad decision, you refuse to take it. So there's actual people in your life that God has placed there that could help you. And by heeding their advice and listening to what they say, you actually could get ahead on your journey. If you refuse to listen to what they say and you don't heed it, you, you actually could, could wreck. You could have a lot of problems. And this is the case of the story of King Rehoboam that, that Ben shared. And I want to just give a, a little background uh, to his life. And uh, Ben mentioned this, but, but his dad was King Solomon, who was considered the, the wisest man. He had resources that no one had ever had. His grandfather was King David. Controversial figure, but a man after God's own heart that had a lot of influence. And so he came from this lineage and this line, and he came into power, and he's thinking, I've got all this power, I've got all this resource, I've got all the, these men that have gone before me and extended our line, now it's my turn. So he was at a unique position of authority and unique position of opportunity. And that's how life is with us. We can get more influence and we can get more opportunities before us, and that's where it's key to make decisions. And in his life, where it began to derail was there was people that gave him good advice, but he refused it. And so I just want to walk through that. So here's some bad decisions we can learn from Rehoboam so we can make some good ones. The first one is uh, he scorned the counsel of the wise. And uh, he asked for some counselors. They were the same counselors that his father had had, Solomon, and I think he was kind of just going through the motions, like this was my dad's counselors, I better just talk to them. But he had kind of already made his mind up. Listen to what they said in 1 Kings 12. And they said to them, if you will be a servant to this people today and serve them, again, they were wanting them to just saddle back, like just come back a little, relax, you're power hungry. Your burden on us is too much, please help, help us out. If you, 
If you will serve them and speak good words to them, when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. You have a unique position. You have the hearts of your followers if you listen and consider them. And then you find out what happens next. But he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. So he had these counselors who were giving him this advice. Slow down. Look out for the people. Consider them. Put yourselves in their position. See things how they see it. Try to meet them where they're at. Help them. And if you do, they will follow you forever. But the word abandon there means literally just in one ear, out the other. You ever seen that when you're talking to somebody? Maybe you're a parent and you tell your kid what to do and they say yes and they shake their head and you're like, can you repeat it back? And they just, I'm supposed to do something? Yes, you are. What was it? Something? And that can be true in our life. Maybe a boss is telling us what to do and at the middle, he's told us something we don't wanna do. We can kind of just have the glazed over look and we're nodding and saying yes, but we're not hearing anything. That's that abandoned. It's you're listening, but your ears aren't really open. You ever experienced that? You ever done that yourself? I know I have. It's that idea, it's in one ear and out the other. The, the, the advice, the counsel, the input, it's, it's gone. And so he was telling them, encourage them, sacrifice for them. If you do, they will be your people and you will be able to lead them. But he abandoned it. It's just, he just got away from that counsel as fast as he could. They gave him some sound advice to establish his kingdom. But it wasn't what he wanted to hear. Again, he wanted the influence. He wanted the power. He wanted what his father had had, what his grandfather had had, but more. And he didn't want to work for it. He didn't want to gain influence or trust. He just wanted to demand it. As you know, as a leader, you can't demand trust. You earn trust. And that's what they're telling him. But he wanted no part of it. So he scorned their counsel. And then number two, another part of his bad decision is he sought counsel that fed his pride. This is, you know people that are gonna tell you what you want to hear. The idea is, you know, you line up people in a room and you're like, okay, they're gonna be with me. They may challenge me. They may ask me too many questions. So who are you gonna choose? I'm gonna choose the person that's with me. We could tend to do this. But if you do this with major decisions, you may not get all the input that you need. And here's the story continues In verse nine, it says, and he said to them, what do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, lighten the yoke that your father put on us? So he shifts gears. The old counselors gave him this advice. It was not what he wanted to hear. It was this old crowd. He didn't want anything to do what they said. So he looked at them and the abandoning's like, thank you. Now, what do you have to say, my young friends whom have been able to be along in my nice lifestyle? You know, to experience all I've experienced. What do you have to say? And as I look at you, remember all that I've done for you, all that I've helped you. And so he's leveraging his position to get what he wants. And this is what it says further on. And the young man who had grown up with him, okay? They're these cronies, they have this brotherhood. The young man who've grown up with him said to him, thus shall you speak to this people who said to you, your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus shall you say to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. Now, when you read this in the Bible, sometimes you're like, what on earth? Who would say that? 
In the biblical time, this is this picture of the ultimate power move. Like this is, you know, you, you say this in an argument, people are like, interesting, have no idea what you mean. But they're basically saying like, you think you're powerful? I have more power than you could ever imagine. So the strongest part of your father, the weakest part of me is stronger than that. That's what he's saying. And he's like leveraging his power. And so the young men are giving him this advice to feed his pride. Not only his pride, but to really speak bad of his father, to dishonor the person who raised him and got him to where he was. So you can see these, these young men said, don't, don't listen to them. They don't know what they're talking about. We've grown up with you. We know you. You've got this. And your father has nothing on you. So that was the second bad decision. The third is this. And this is the kicker. He had already decided what he wanted to do. Now, the text, there's not a verse in verse 11. It doesn't say that he already decided what he wanted to do. But here's the thing. If you abandon wise counsel, and if you then turn to the people that tell you what you want to hear, doesn't that usually mean you already have your mind made up? Doesn't that mean you don't want to hear it? Okay, he abandoned it. Then he went to the people that would tell him what he wanted. So his mind was already made up. He was ignoring the warnings. He was not thinking about what they said. The older counsel, they, he just left it. Immediately went to the younger because his mind was already decided. Uh, in real life, it looks like this. Have you ever been processing a decision and someone begins to ask you questions? And the answer is, you should just be happy to me, for me right now. You ever thought that? Usually that's a sign of like, I don't really have the answers to your questions. And frankly, I didn't think of those questions, but right now I'm just happy about this, so I want you to be happy. You ever done that? It's easy to do, because decisions can be emotional, because we're getting finally what we want. The same was with the king. So somebody may ask you questions and you don't want to hear it. Someone may ask you to check another piece of information or see something else differently and you just see what you want to see. This happens to all of us in big decisions and in little decisions. We see what we want to see because we want what we want. And it's the same with King Rehoboam. And so all of this came from this place within him where he had an idea of what he wanted. He had an idea of how to get there. And he was going to do it his way. So if you could imagine, there were some red lights going off. There were some yellow lights going off. And he just blew past it to that green light go. I'm going to rule with scorpions. I'm going to rule with my power. I'm going to get what I want. And like Ben shared, the kingdom that he had known began to shrivel up. And it was not what it was. So in a way, he lost respect and he lost everything that he was fighting for. And so his pride was this poison that rotted him from the inside out. And it began with this idea of he did not want to seek wise counsel. Now, the same can be true for us. Now, again, we're not presidents and kings, but we do have influence, and we do have responsibilities. We do have things that God has given us that we need to handle right and choose correctly and move forward, and God has put people in our life that, that can help us. So I want to shift gears. So if that's what we can learn from, from his bad decisions, then how can we make a good decision? Here's where there's hope. 
if you were to analyze kind of the major decisions you've made in, let's say, the last 10 years of your life, are there any decisions that you regret? Are there any decisions now on this side of it, you look back and said, I would not have done that if I know, if I knew then what I know now? Any of you? Right? I think all of us. Here's the good news. The story is not yet finished in our life. No matter what bad decision you've made, no matter those things that you blew past that you should have slowed down or you should have stopped or you should have changed roads, if you turn to Jesus and you ask him for help and you ask him to give you people in your life that can help you, he will do that. It's not too late for any of us. And this is why we're here as a church. If it was too late, if every decision scarred us and marked us and there was never a new beginning, what's the point? The story's been written. But what you find is what God does in the middle of that, speaking of intersections, he intersects with the hope of Jesus Christ so that in the middle of all that we're facing, we can choose to follow him and we can change our path. And if you've never followed him before and you've just made bad decision after bad decision after bad decision, you want some change, the change and the hope is not in you just learning more. The change and the hope is that Jesus can give you a new heart and a new purpose and a new existence. You can live a new life as you choose to follow him. That's the good news. If you do follow him and you still feel like you're beating your head up against the wall, it's not too late for you. You can still grow. And this specific message is how do we grow and make decisions not independently outside of a community? That's what he wants this church to be, a place where we can make decisions and we can get help from the community that he's built here. And so you're not alone, and it's not too late. For me, that helps me get up in the morning because I know there's something to live for beyond the regret that I experience. So here's how to make a good decision. It begins with rejecting and then replacing. First thing is you have to reject the counsel of fools. Now, for the most part, we don't go around our life as people talk to us and be like, you fool, that was terrible. You don't have many friends if you do that, right? But there are people in your life that aren't gonna give you wise counsel. They could give you foolish ideas because it's what they know and it's how they operate. Uh, here, here's a video of Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey at an award ceremony. It's, very, it's all in fun, but I thought it was really interesting what you can get from this. Let's, let's watch this together. Let me, let, me, let me share with you a little bit of uh, worldly Woody wisdom, one of them, all right? So it's late last year. I had a little problem come up in my life, a conflict, something I had to deal with that I didn't want to deal with, but it was hard to deal with, and I had to. So I go to my friend Woody, thoughtful man and friend. I said, Woody, you know, you always seem to keep it pretty, pretty cool. What, what do you do when you got a problem or a conflict that comes up in your life? Being my good friend, he thinks about it for a minute. He lowers his head for about 15 or 20 seconds. And he looks back up to me and looks right in my eyes, deep into my soul, and he says, I just forget about it. That's true. It's incredible how you do that. It works. It really does work. I want to offer that to all of you. Uh, You just want to laugh. (laughs) I can't forget. 
Like, how do you forget your problems? They're still there when you wake up. You just could picture this room of the key influencers, the highest paid people in the whole world. They shape our culture. And their advice is just forget it. Every morning I wake up, I, it's still there. Now, how many of you couldn't even listen to that because the mouth didn't match? <laughs> Did that drive you nuts? I think that's an illustration. That's how it is to listen to people sometimes. You don't want to see your lips moving, but I'm not hearing a thing you're saying. That drove me nuts. But that's how it is. It's just this, it was this advice that it sounds great. And he says it works. Does it? Who knows him to really know if that works in his life? Who is he honest with to really admit if that works? For me, it doesn't work. For you, I don't think just forgetting it, putting your head in the sand, does that work? I don't think so. So there's certain counsel. It sounds great, and you may laugh about it, but you need to tell yourself, that's terrible advice. You need to reject it. This is what the scriptures say about flatterers, one of the types. Proverbs 29.5, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Flatterers are people that tell you what you want to hear, not what you need to hear. Because they want to make you feel good. Because if you feel good, then they feel good about your relationship. They tell you what you want to hear, not what you need to hear. Here's the thing. My mind is full of things that I want. I don't need that. I know that. I need people that tell me what I need, not just what I want. And so you have to watch out for those people. Flatterers give flattering advice, but it may not be right. Another type that we need to reject is sluggards. This is lazy people, Proverbs twenty-two thirteen. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. This is kind of like the boy that cried wolf, right? If somebody always is telling you things that don't end up happening, you no longer listen. The reason he says the lion is in the street because his work's in the street and he doesn't want to do his work. So let's all come inside and hang out. That sounds great. I love hanging out. But if there's not a lion, we have to work. And if there is a lion, let's go check at a safe distance. That's actually sound advice. So lazy people, what kind of advice do they give? Lazy. Easy way people, if they want the easy way, what kind of advice do they give? The easy way. You're supposed to avoid these types of people. And then the third is rebels. Rebellious people, Proverbs 10, 17 says this, whoever heeds instruction on the path to life, oh, sorry, is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. The, the idea of, of reproof is this, is encouragement with a challenge. Like, you, you're kind of on the way, but you need, to, you need to pivot a little bit. You need to shift. It's advice that you could keep going your own way, and you may or may not get a good result, but you listen to what they say, and, and it could help you. And what this proverb is saying is, is rebels, they, they reject it. They, they ignore it. And rebellious people, what kind of advice are they going to give you? Rebellious advice. Picture this. You have a problem with your boss, and you seek a rebellious person for what you're supposed to do. If they've never followed a boss well, if they've never respected authority, their advice is clouded by their life. And they're going to say things like this. So I have this situation with my boss. He got angry at something that I said, and I don't know what to do. They're going to say, can you believe the nerve of your boss? How could he do that to you? And as you hear that, what do you start thinking? Yeah, 
the nerve of him. You're, you're right. They asked you to do that? Doesn't he know you, you already have too much on your plate? And as you hear that, what do you think? Well, yeah, I do. Can you, you're right. I have too much on my plate. You need to give them a piece of your mind, they say. And then what do you start doing? You're right. The nerve? How could they ask me to do that? I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. And the rebel, who's always rebelled, is at home. And you, on your way to work, face your coworkers and your boss, and you give them a piece of your mind. And the person with the advice is nowhere to be seen. And so you now have paid a great price for rebellious advice that now has broken trust with your boss. You see how this plays out? It's so easy, the counsel that we get, it begins to help us see things a certain way. The problem is if it's wrong, we're in, we're in the wrong. And so part of getting wise counsel is learning how to reject the wrong counsel. And so you have to refuse and then you have to replace. Because it's not enough just to refuse. Okay, that, that's not helpful. Okay, that's not good. Because what, what tends to happen is if we just look at all counsel as, not, as bad, then we don't get any, right? I'm going to refuse that. That's not helpful. That's not helpful. And then we're empty. And if we're empty without sound advice, we just operate on our own strategies again, which if you're like me, that's not always great. Because again, I want things really bad, and most of the time I just want a green light. So you have to refuse those three things, and then you have to replace it. And this is the second point. You have to seek out the counsel of the wise. If you're taking notes, there's a handout. And every week we have that, and you can take notes if you want. You can just listen if you want. But if you're taking notes, you have a pen. Underline those two words, seek out. I want you to get the action of that. Because to get wise counsel actually is something that you have to initiate. Most wise people are not just going to come and give you advice. Have you ever given advice to someone who didn't want it? How does that go? It's terrible. They're not ready. They don't really want to know. So you're just spilling words, and it's going in one ear and out the other. So wise people, for the most part, are willing, happy, ready to give advice. But for the most part, they need to be asked because they know the person who asks really wants it. The person who doesn't, doesn't. Does that make sense? So here's how you seek out the counsel of the wise. And counsel here is advice, input, insight. And when you need counsel, you need to think like this. What's the decision that I'm making? And write down the questions that you have. That's part of seeking out. Like, what are the actual questions? What are the reservations I have? What's things that give me pause? Like, this seems like a big decision. This seems like something I need to think about. So what's on your mind? So that's part of getting ready for counsel. What's the decision? What are the questions that you have? What's the impact? What's on the line? What's good? What's bad? You do your homework first. And it's amazing, just from you getting ready to seek counsel, you're already down the road on clear thinking because you've thought about it yourself. I was the type of student, I've, I've shared this with many of you, like I was terrible at math. Anyone relate? Any just really struggle math people? Thank you, the 3,000 of you that said that. That's how terrible I am at math. That was a joke. Come on, guys. That, don't be so uptight. Jeez. But, that, but for math, I, I never wanted to work for it because I didn't get it. 
And I, I, was, I was the answer man. And I was like, I don't get fractions. Just tell me what number I put on top of that little slash and put on the bottom. That's what I wanted to know. One over two. Great. And then they begin to explain, I, I don't want to know how. Give me the answer. That's how I was. We can be like that a lot with advice. We want to seek it out, but really what we're wanting is, tell me what to do. That if it screws up, I can blame you. No, we don't say that, but most of the time we, we don't want to think about it. But to seek it out, we have to do our homework. Think about the decision. What are some good? What are some bad? What are some concerns? What are some questions? And then you can seek out the counsel once you've done that. So here's, here's how to get wise counsel. Now you'll notice these flow opposite of what King Rehoboam did. That was his bad decision. Since it was bad, let's flip it. Here's the first one. Don't finalize your plans until you have sought wise counsel. Here's practical advice. If you're making a decision, the first thing you need to do is you need to pray and you need to ask God for help and you ask him for a neutral heart. You know what that means? It's kind of like the yellow light. I need to slow down. I don't know if I need to stop. I don't know if I need to go. But I need to get some more information. Because there are times when there's a yellow light where you do need to gun it. Not every time, people, but some of the times. But there's times when you need to stop. It's the same with decisions. So there's a sense in which we need to actually have a neutral heart. It's this yellow where we're not exactly sure. But God, whatever it is that you show me I need to do, I'm willing to do. It may be to move forward. It may be to stop. It may be to change directions. I haven't made my mind up yet. And so don't finalize your plans. Here's what Proverbs 20:18 says. Make plans by seeking advice. If you wage war, obtain guidance. Notice when the plans happen. Make plans what? By seeking advice. So in a way, it's saying that we may have an idea of what needs to happen in a situation, a direction that we need to go. We have a plan, but your plan is written in pencil. It's not in permanent marker. It can be erased. It can be changed. And it can be changed by the advice that you get. So if you get wise counsel and they say that, you know, that decision, that could help you in the short run, but that could really hurt you in the long run. That neutral heart and making plans by seeing advice, saying, thank you for that advice. I'm going to pivot. I'm going to change. I'm going to reconsider. And then the proverb goes further. This grand scheme of decisions, war-type decisions. These are decisions that could really impact your life in a key way. This is the people that you're going to partner with. It could be spouse. It could be a job. It could be a partnership for a business, where you live, where you move, what you buy that costs you thousands of dollars, like buying a home, buying a car. These, these are war-type decisions where there's a trickle. It impacts you. It impacts your family. It impacts those that you know. And if you think in terms of these, wartime, then you obtain guidance. I'm not going to go and make this decision by myself. I forgot to put the pictures up here, but this month I went to the church, uh, Churchill war, war Rooms in England. And during World War II, Churchill and his war cabinet had to go underground in England to strategize and fight the war because the Germans were flying aircraft and bombing the whole city of London. So the whole war operation was put underground and he had a war cabinet 
that was deciding, you know, in darkness in these rooms, special rooms that were protected, how the war should go. It was really interesting when Churchill came to power, he put this war cabinet together of opponents, people that did not think like him, people that weren't from the same party as him, but he wanted to make sure that he had advice coming from all different angles that were seeing things. And so you go underneath and it's crazy. You're seeing the actual room where Churchill made major decisions that impacted us, that impacted the world. And you go into this special room and it was disguised as a toilet. But in that room, there was no toilets. It was one phone and the phone was on the special encrypted line of the president of the United States. And that line connected him. So he always had access to the president with the major decisions that he was thinking and how it was gonna impact. So that is literally war-type decisions. But it's the same for us as we're making big decisions that impact our lives and the lives of people that we love. We need to have people that can think differently than us, that can see things differently than us, that are wise, and their goal is to help us, but we seek their advice. And we don't have everything mapped out and planned out before we do so. God wants some of those people in your life. Here's the second thing of how to get wise counsel. Approach the wise in humility. Proverbs 15, 12 says this, a scoffer does not like to be reproved. He will not go to the wise. A scoffer is one who ridicules, mocks, or babbles. This is the person that doesn't really have anything good to say about someone when they haven't told them what they want to hear. They scoff at it. Can you believe the nerve? That's terrible advice. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't live my life. I live my life. You have no idea. And they just attack. That's a scoffer. The idea is they they don't like to be told something different. They don't like to be told to reconsider, to reevaluate. They don't like to be asked questions. This is the independent person that knows their their whole life and their whole plan. Do you know people like that? Aren't they usually the last people you want to give advice to? Here's a second question. You may not want to say it out loud, but are you sometimes like that? It's easy to be like that. If you want to know if that's you, sometimes you have to look at this last part. He will not go to the wise. When was the last time you went to somebody for input in your life and you were willing to hear it? That's how you know, how you view it. Are you willing to get counsel? And if you are, when was the last time you got it? Proverbs 19.20, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Um, Listening takes humility. As I'm parenting my kids and I'm coaching my son's team in soccer, most of the time I'm asking them, eyes on me. When coach talks, you guys, eyes on me. So I'm teaching them, when somebody's talking to you, you make eye contact. So this, like, listening and accepting instruction is this proverb, just this wise saying of, if you want to hear from somebody and you're asking for their advice, look at them. Be ready to write down what they say. Be ready to take notes. Be ready, like, I'm, I want to know what they have to say. I value it, and I'm willing to write it down. Have you ever give counsel to somebody or advice, and they... They write it down. And you may, it's not that great, but you may want to, don't write that in pen. Like, you know, it's so counterintuitive. But doesn't that show you that they're willing to consider it, 
not only to consider it, but they're willing to look back at it. They don't want to forget it. That's another question. When was the last time you took notes on what somebody was telling you? Listening and accepting instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Sometimes we approach wise advice like a hot potato. It's a game. I haven't ever really like handled many hot potatoes in my life. But the idea is you, you, know, you have a ball or something. It's like, get rid of the ball. And everyone who's, don't touch it. And that's how we handle wise counsel. It's like, I don't, I don't want, you have it. No, I don't want, you have it. And it, you don't let it sink in. But listen, accept instructions. You, you hold on to it. And there may be times where it's painful because it's not what you want to hear. But in the pain, if you heed it, life can come because it can protect you from yourself, which sometimes is what we need. Here's the third thing. This is so hard that seek the truth, not what you want to hear. Proverbs 27, 6, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. I read that. I don't want wounds. Frankly, I like kisses. Don't, like, quote me on that. That sounds a little weird, like, (laughs) as I said that, but you know what I'm saying. None of us like pain. But the point is, a kiss from an enemy does not help you. Again, wounds, it may hurt your pride. It may hurt your plan. But if it comes from somebody that loves you, it can help you. And I've had that in my life where somebody, as I've shared what I thought, they found an error in my thinking. And it stings a little bit. What have you thought about that? Everything in me like, well, yeah, of course. No, I haven't. I haven't thought of that. Did that work for you? No, it, did, it didn't really work. It, are you being successful in that plan? Can you just be happy for me right now, right? You're like, that's easy. Like, can you stop asking so many questions? But a wound from a friend, it can be trusted. You could take it to the bank. It's giving you something worthwhile. Kiss, it's gone. Doesn't mean anything. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from the enemy. What I've done is I, I wanted to give you a flyover of the story but also this biblical perspective of counsel based on the Proverbs. If you've never read the Proverbs, I encourage you, you can dig in. It's usually in the center of your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we can get one for you. It's part of the wisdom literature. If you want to gain wisdom, the Bible has wisdom for you. And as you read Proverbs, there are sayings about lots of things. And all that I've shared today is really this, this approach to hearing from others. So you may want to just read the Proverbs for yourself. Just get in there and just allow that to kind of soak up in your mind. But I encourage you, as as you've seen this different approach, you have to internalize and ask the question, what do I do? And is this me? Do I seek wise counsel? What's my attitude? What's my actions? What are my words? Do I just kind of blow past input and just get what I want? That's easy. You get what you want. But is getting what you want worked out for you? That's the question you have to ask. So as you kind of ask that, just internalize and just, God, where am I? And what is it that I need to do? So as you, as you think of that, I want to invite the band up. They're going to do a closing song. We're going to receive our offering. But I just want you to take a moment to, to think this through and take some next steps today. Every Sunday here at Ridgeview, we do this. It's just your way of hearing 
But what the scriptures say is blessing doesn't come from hearing the word, but from living it out, from applying it to your life. And so on your listening handout, there's some next steps, and you can mark this on the connection card. If you put that on the connection card on your next steps, you'll see it there in the back. Um, I, I pray for you. So if you write your next step right here, I pray for you as you take it, because I want you to experience that in your life and God coming through for you. Here's the first one. Memorize 20, never, <laughs> memorize Proverbs 20, 18. It says this, make plans by seeking advice. If you wage war, obtain guidance. So that's just, if you have this memorized and you're beginning to make plans and wonder what you're gonna do, you bring that into mind. Okay, wait a second. I need to make plans by seeking advice. Have I gotten advice yet? No. May need to hold off on my plans. You don't find that in most self-help books. Why? Because it's self-help. You make plans by making plans. And then you do it. But again, we don't need self-help if we keep getting ourselves into trouble. Second, identify a decision where I need counsel. So this is just, are there some things that you're facing right now? And I encourage you, write it down. It's actually probably nagging at you right now. There's some things that you have to decide. There's some things going on in your mind, in your heart, that you know are coming up. They could be big decisions. They could be small. They could be nagging at you. Write those decisions down. Just bring it out in the open so you know, okay, this is probably something that I need some advice on. And the third, it leads to that. Identify one to two wise counselors in your life. Here's the good news. You probably have some wise counsel. Here's the even better news. If you don't, you can find some. The reason I know that is because there's actually some people here at this church that could help you. But again, you have to seek it out. So if you write on your connection card, I need some wise counsel, I will get in touch with you and figure out how we can help you. Doesn't that just sound so freaky and great all at once? But isn't that true? If you need the help, you can get it. The question is, do you want it? So I encourage you, if you need the help, which we all do in different areas at different times, communicate with us on the connection card. We want to help you. That's why we're here. So as you consider that, band's going to play a little bit. Write those next steps on there. Finish filling out that connection card, and then we're going to receive our offering. If I've never met you, I'm going to be hanging out by these doors, just catching you before you run out. Literally, I'm going to chase after. No, I'm just, just kidding. But I would, I'd love to meet you. Thank you guys for being here. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, which gives us examples, good and bad, that we can learn from and gives us hope as we look at our own life and the good and bad that we've done. Thank you, Father, for Jesus, who gives us a new heart and a new start. If there's anyone here that has not yet decided to follow you, I pray that they'll decide to follow you today. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Really quick, could you put that connection card back up there? I just mentioned that in my prayer, but I wanted to be specific. If I talked about, you know, following Jesus in a new heart, if, if that's something you're interested in learning more about, if you check that box, contact me about following Jesus, I'll check back with you as well. Thank you, guys.